Amen. The Lord's good. Amen. He really is. So I want to read Ephesians 3.10 this morning. Start. And I want to talk to you today about raising the dead. Okay. Because this is, yeah, amen. Uh, you'll see about that in a minute. It says, to the, to the intent now, that can be uh, physical dead and spiritual dead, by the way. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, manifold wisdom, not one dimension, but many dimensions, many, many expressions of God's wisdom might be made known what, who, by who? By the church, to who? The principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's the demonic realm. And so that really is a, a New Testament picture of what God has created. One of the aspects that God has created the church for is to, to re- reveal the wisdom of God into the spiritual realm. Uh, and it's this wisdom aimed at taking down the gates of hell. And um, it's also, uh, I think, this, if I had to take a New Testament scripture and tie down one verse that I believe the spirit and power of Elijah uh, reflects, it is this scripture. Because when you really begin to study the life of Elijah, that's what you see. You see that that is exactly how he, what he did is he confronted, he didn't confront just people, he confronted the spiritual powers and, and, and the uh, demonic forces that were, had a grip on the nation. And he confronted those, those forces and was able to uh, eventually destroy their grip on the nation and loose the nation back to the Lord. And that's really what God really wants to do. And I feel like that's really what God's called us as the church to, to do is, is to, for our nation and, and for the people, the communities, is God is, is releasing an anointing now. I believe with all my heart He's releasing a new anointing. It's like a, a new wave is coming in in the Spirit. It's, it's the Spirit of Elijah that's being released again as Jesus promised to, to bring things down that need to be brought down and to raise up things that need to be raised up. And I believe when we, you look at, if you begin to study Elijah's, Elijah's life, what I've discovered in studying his life is I can see some of, the, some of the things that he's walked through and some of the things he's experienced. I can see that, that many people have experienced some of the very things that he experienced. Some of the very things, in fact, James says in the New Testament, he brings out the fact that Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed, and something happened when he prayed, and 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 so we. It was not just that he prayed; he was like us, but he had feelings like us. He had experiences like us. And what God wants to do is encourage people. Uh, I believe God wants to encourage His people that we've walked down a path in life, and we've tried to make sense of this path, and we tried to understand all the things that have happened in our life, and and I believe God's going to reveal that to us. And what I'm seeing. It's for an anointing. It's for a purpose. Everything that has happened is for a purpose. And I believe we're in a time where God wants to restore people and wants to restore your fortunes. I believe that with all my heart because God is a restorer. That's what He said. And I believe we can begin to declare restoration of things. Uh, Even in the book of Joel, it's the restoration of years that have been consumed from us. How does God restore years? We don't go back and live them over. Only God can restore into you what you should have received 
and did not, or what you had and you lost in, in the past. I think that was really awesome. Somebody said this morning about the, about the future. Didn't somebody say something about the future during worship? Huh? Maybe I was just hearing something else. But anyways, I just want to give you a, I've been, I was been going through First uh, Kings 17. Let me just give you a quick review of First Kings 17 so you can be caught up. One, it, Elijah appears and confronts Ahab who was a Baal worshiper. And Baal was the God, the most popular God, because he was the God of prosperity. He was the God of rain. He was the God of crops. He was the God of families. He was the main one who blessed everything. It was a very grievous religion. And one of the things that Elijah, when he confronted Ahab, he said, and Ahab was the, was the king of northern Israel, and, and he confronted the king and said, it's not going to rain Again, until I say so. And that was, he was speaking directly, not just to Ahab, but he was speaking into the Spirit because Baal was the God of rain. And then the Bible tells us the Lord took Ahab, or took Elijah at that moment and marched him down out of the promised land. Now that's significant. Marched him into the wilderness to a remote place, to a brook. And said, go there and drink the water there and I will send an unclean bird to you day and night to feed you. And there he went. Okay, there he went. And he stayed there, the Bible says, until the brook dried up. The brook dried up. And I think that's amazing. But one thing that I believe the Lord was showing me this morning, or sometimes, about that is... um, There's people in this room that I'm totally convinced of that have amazing callings on your life and have functioned under an anointing. Yet something has happened in your life. Something has derailed you. Something has cast you aside. And what you had from God, you you feel like you lost it. Am I talking to anybody? I promise you there's people in this room that feel that. And you feel like you're done. You feel like you're done. You see, what Elijah could, he could have, he could have caught, got caught up in that. He could have got caught up in that same line of thinking because God sent him away. He could have thought, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? To get pushed out of the very promised land, to get pushed out and pushed away from the thing that God is doing. There's people who feel that. And the brook dried up for you. Yet, you went to Walmart and got cases of bottled water and took them to where you were at and tried to live in a wilderness place thinking that was your lot in life. Well, I'm here to tell you that is not your lot in life. It was only, you know, I think I said it, you know, before you stand and your, your greatest calling is in front of you. But before you can go to that greatest place, it's like with Elijah, you need to go, you know, Elijah had to sit by the brook before he could ever call fire down from heaven. And a lot of people have gone and, and sat by the brook, but you stayed by the brook. And the brook dried up. And you've dried up. And you've forgotten your calling. Jesus said this. This is what he, one of the last things he said before he 
went to the crosses in John 7, and he said, Father, I have glorified your name on the earth because I have finished the work you have called me to do. I finished it. Everybody in this room, God has a call on your life to finish something. And some of you have quit. Thank God Elijah didn't quit. Thank God when the Lord said, Elijah, get up from there and go to Zarephath. There a widow will take care of you. It didn't seem glorious. In fact, you were probably thinking, that was a hundred mile walk that he had to make. He had to walk a hundred miles. Can you imagine that? To, to enemy territory, to the, to the place where Baal ruled, he had to walk to that place. And he had to not find a rich person, not a king, not a wealthy businessman, but a widow. Elijah knew uh, widows were poor. Widows had nothing. And he knew there was a, a, a drought going on. Everything was drying up. And he knew a widow would be the last person on earth that could provide for him. really speaks of a lot of humility, doesn't it? That sometimes God's provision for us doesn't show up the way we would like for it to show up. It's not packaged the way we want it to be packaged. It doesn't look good. It doesn't smell good. It seems disorderly. It seems chaotic at times. Do you know what I'm talking about? You see, if we really want God to restore us, you know who the person who actually does the restoring is the Holy Spirit. You see, that's who we really need because he's the one who takes care of. He ta- the Bible says he takes from Jesus. The Father has put all things in Jesus. Listen, God has put everything in Jesus' hand. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit takes the heritage of Christ and gives it to us. Yet, he's, a, a, he's not always packaged well. He doesn't always fit into our box that we have tried to carry him like the children of Israel we tried to carry God on a box for years and finally God got tired of being carried in that box did you know that in the old time he got tired of it he said put me down in the temple put me down in the temple put me down in the temple in the Bible we're the temple in the New Testament we're the temple God wanted to be put into us he got tired of being carried around in a box and we put God in a box We've placed him in a box. We've asked him to be a certain way, act a certain way, and when he doesn't, we reject it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It takes humility to find God in a place you don't want to find him at, in a situation you don't want to find him in. But God's there. He's in it. And I believe there's people in this room right now that God is right there in front of you, but he's not in the way you want to see him. Am I talking to anybody this morning? And, and we can find God if we're willing to humble ourselves, if we're willing to see God and accept God. We were saying yes to God. Are you crazy? I, I wanted to get up and say, y'all are crazy if you're, if you're really saying yes to Him because it may be shocking the way He decides to come to you. It may disturb you. In fact, it probably will disturb you. It will probably be very disturbing to you because He may show up in a way that's not pleasant and but I'll tell you this, if you'll stick with him, it'll become very pleasant to you. And then you'll be declaring, this is the best ever. This is what I've dreamed of. This is what I always wanted. It just didn't look that way. It's like biting into something you, you know, you, you know you're going to, no, just taste it. You'll love it. You'll, no, I won't. I hate that stuff. And you, oh, I do love it. You know, and that's really how God is. He wants us just to get, take a big bite of him. And so Elijah leaves there. Are we, fall, are we good now? He leaves there. Is a transition that happens in people's life. He leaves the place where God was meeting him and walks into a new place. But unfortunately, the new place is 
in the enemy's territory. It's right where Baal is, 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 the, is the ruler. He's the, it's the kingdom of Baal he walked into. And he sees a widow out there gathering sticks. And he speaks to her and says, get me a glass of water. And she says, okay, I can get you a glass of water. And as she was going, he says, hey, how about making me a cake or giving me some bread? And she says, I only got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. That's what she said. I only got this little bit, Dean. Only a little bit. And he says, take that little bit. And she said, I'm going to make this cake for me and my son. And then we're going to die. Because we're start, we're, this is the last of what we have. We're going to die. It was everything she had. She had one kid, one child. I'm going to make this final piece of bread for my son. And we're going to eat it. And then we're going to starve to death. And it's going to be over. And Elijah says, here's what I need for you to do. I need you to make that for me. Give that to me. And if you'll, give, if you'll do that, you'll tap into a supply that has no end. And so that's what she did. She, she trusted. She, what did she have to lose? Well, I'll, die, I'll, die, I'll just die a day early because I gave everything I had to this, this crazy man. But I, I, maybe he's right. What if he's right? What if, what if he, what he's saying is right? See, what if what, when, when you feel like God's doing things and you feel like God's speaking and you're not sure about it, but what if you were just willing to take the chance again and step out again instead of looking back, well, you know. Because a lot of people are not willing to step out again. And so God's really calling, calls, calling people to take another chance with Him. And so that's what this widow did. And then I will uh, read this. Are y'all good? It says, The bin of flour, this is verse 16 of 1 Kings 17, The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to Elijah. Isn't that powerful? It didn't, didn't use up. God did what he said he would do. And so what we don't know, what it does, it's not really making real clear here, is Elijah went and moved in with this woman, you know, lived in her house, not moved into it, you know, what you could be thinking if you have a bad mind like some of us in this room have had in, in the past. <laughs> the mind in the gutter. But she, he lived in the house with this woman and her son. And, uh, and it's then in verse 17, it says, Now it happened after these things, after these things. Uh, people who s- supposedly, you know, they have this thing called Bible scholars. I don't know who these people are, honestly. You know, but Bible scholars say this probably could have been up to a year after these things. Possibly up to a year later. In other words, Elijah was living in this house with this woman. They were eating every day. People all around them were starving to death every day. But they had food because of what God was doing. They were living in a blessed place. They were living in an anointed place. And then, but something happened. The son of the woman who owned the house became sick. The son of the woman. Now think about it. The, the son of the woman became sick. They were living under the blessing of God. You had the greatest man of God. The, one of the greatest prophets in the entire Bible living in your house. Saved your life. Saved your child's life. Now all of a sudden your son is sick. And this is not a, just like a bad cold or a headache. This is something that's severe, something that's causing this child day to day. If you really read the, the, the original language, tell you, this child became sicker and sicker. He began to waste away 
you know, as each day went, he got weaker and weaker and weaker. And then you got Elijah sitting in your house. Now, you would be a person who would be really perplexed. Well, listen, Elijah, I mean, we know, it doesn't tell us this, but we know this woman had to say, hey, listen, dude, if you can create a miracle out of food, can't you pray for my son to be healed? Right? I mean, wouldn't you think that? Well, I would. If I had somebody like Elijah living with one of my kids, I'd say, that'd be the first, the first day they even sniffled I'd have had him in there. Go lay hands on him, get this child sick. We can't afford sickness. Yet, that is, it didn't happen. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath in him, left in him. You know what that means? That means he died. That means he died. Now, that's a paradox, isn't it? That's a contradictory situation happening. And I think most people in the room would probably say, I get the paradox thing. I get that you can be living in the presence of God. You can be living in the blessings of God, but there also can be some terrible things to happen around you. Because living in the blessings of God and living in the presence of God, this absolutely proves, does not mean that we're not going to have some bad stuff to happen. Are y'all hearing what I'm telling you? You want to walk in Elijah's footprints, we need to really get this. I think God's trying to speak to people. He's trying to talk to you about your past, about the bad things that you've never been able to reconcile and you've wondered about it. Am I, am I only a person in this room who've wondered about it? No, I'm not. We've wondered, why did this happen? Why did, it, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my family? I was following the Lord. I, I had the Lord. God was moving in my life. God was doing things in my life. People were starving around this woman. They were alive. They were living. And now all of a sudden this terrible thing happens. It's crazy. And you can see why in our lives, in our journey with God, there's going to be times when we can be in the, in the greatest thing that God's doing, yet that doesn't mean bad things are not going to happen. And, and there can be times when we get somebody like Elijah to pray and nothing happens. I know a lot of good Elijah sitting in this room who prayed and nothing happened. Right? Are y'all with me? If you want this, yeah, okay. Come on. And then so she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Now things are getting serious here, right? Have you come to, to me to bring my sin to remembrance and kill and to kill my son. Wow, that's pretty serious. Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to, to kill my son? So here's the thing. Um, it's sort of like this. What did I do? What did I do to cause this? I mean, right? Does not everybody ask that question when something bad happens? What did I do to make God mad? How did I miss God? Why did God let this happen to me? What have I done to you, Lord? Have I, have I angered you? Have I displeased you, Lord? Why have you let this terrible thing happen? That's what we all do because everybody in this room, everybody on this planet, as we're living in this life, we're trying to figure out what's going on in this life. We're trying to make sense of what goes on in our lives. Right? Every one of us is right now. You got things in your life. You're trying to understand why are these things happening? Why? And you're trying to understand life 
Because God created us like that. He wants, he gives us this heart to understand the things that are going on. That's why there's a spirit of wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit releases. So we can understand our lives and know what to do. And when something tragic happens, it no longer is in the background of our heart. It moves to the forefront of our life. And we begin asking questions. And we begin questioning why these things happened. I guarantee there's people in this room right now, you're wrestling with, why, why is this happening to me? Why, or why isn't this thing happening for me? Because you're trying to make sense of life. That's what you're supposed to do. It's what humans do. It's what human beings do. We're supposed to do that. And she began to do what everybody does. If we can't figure out why it happened, we start trying to get the blame somewhere. Because if we can at least blame it on somebody, that they did this and they caused this, at least we have an explanation, even though we're a bad explanation, right? And a lot of time, God gets blamed for it, unfortunately. God did this. God did this. That's why it's messed up. That's why my life, that's why my child didn't get healed. God did it. And people become angry. God didn't bless my ministry. God caused this thing, my business, to fail. I mean, that's just what people do. God didn't, God tricked me. I've heard people have told me that before. Are y'all all right? <laughs> I'm just talking about being a human being. I'm talking about the, the situations that Elijah, the greatest man, the great man who appeared with Jesus, he walked through stuff like this. He experienced stuff like this. That's why he's such a great man. Because he, be, he had to get in situations that had no answers. And everybody in this room, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to come to grips with stuff like this at some point. And it's really uh, beautiful. Uh, I was thinking about recently just an example from, from the book of Job, which has kind of became a... I always hated that book. Like, forget that book. That's 40-something chapters of almost... Well, 39 chapters of misery. It started out okay and ended... And then you got 30-something chapters of just getting beat to death. And finally, in the end, everything works out. Uh, I'll read the first chapter and the last chapter. I'm happy. <laughs> you know? Because it starts out, you know, he's this great man. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's starting to lose everything. He loses his, his stuff. He loses his home. And he loses his family, his children. And his wife is sitting there, you just need to curse God and die. It's God's fault. And, you know, y'all, you're messed up. Die, man. Get out of life. Get out of here. I mean, she was angry, man. It was her kids, too. I could, I could understand her thinking that he did something. Because it was, she lost everything, too. We kind of put her down for that. But the truth is, is she was just doing what we all do. And then uh, these th- three friends of Job show up. And I just love this thing. They saw Job, and they, it says they lifted their voices and wept when they saw him because he was in such a mess. And then it says they just sat down with him and didn't say anything for, I think, seven days. Not a word because of the suffering that man was going through. They just were there to comfort him and be there. And then Job finally said something, you know, because... I've always believed this. When a person's in pain, at some point, that pain needs a voice. It needs to express. Those mo- it's like one person said one time years ago, you know, how are you going to cast all your cares on the Lord if you're not willing to communicate those cares and, de- and, and 
You know what I'm saying? I got cares in my life. I'm not, I need to tell God this. I don't need to act like nothing's wrong with me. There's something wrong, God. This is how I feel. So I can give them to you. Now, religion won't let you do that, by the way. It wants you to act like everything's okay all the time. And so you're all miserable on the inside and acting happy on the outside, right? So, well, Joe, when he did that, his friends lit into him. Because here's what they were doing. Here's what his friends were doing. They were trying to figure out why this was happening. They're doing, they're doing, they were doing what everybody does. Why did God let this happen to Job? And they spent 30-something chapters working through this issue. Try, and finally, at the end, they were condemning God. They were condemning Job. Like, it's your fault. That, that's the only answer is you just messed up. I've told this story many times. I had a friend come to me, and I was asking, and he was in a mess, man. I mean, he was in the worst mess in the world. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, what am I going to say to him? Because I'd already talked to him a few times. didn't work. You know, nothing I said worked. So I had this one last shot at him, and he was desperate. And the Lord said, don't be Job's friends. That's what he said to him. That was it. In other words, don't go picking into him about what he's done to cause his mess. And so all I did was really just listen to the guy, pour his heart out, come to a broken place, prayed for him, a a pitiful prayer, and then within two weeks, God completely had fixed him. I could have destroyed him with my words. Don't be Job's friends. And so... Finally, God intervened and began to deal with Job, talking to him. I'm just taking you through 40 chapters real fast because this isn't good, I think, because I think this is something God wants people to do. Then, this is something amazing happened. God told Job at the end of it all, at the very last, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for those three guys. And then the Bible says, after Job prayed for his friends, God blessed him and restored him. Restored all his fortunes. Doubled, he became doubly blessed. You see, that's really what it's going to take. God wants us to pray for people who've hurt us and bless them people. Because those people hurt Job. He was suffering. Through all this, he was suffering badly. And so I started asking the Lord in my life to bring the members. I'm not talking about people who just made me mad like for 30 minutes. But I'm talking about ones who really hurt me in my life. You know who those people are. Everyone, everybody in this room, you've had people that have hurt you, said things that wounded you bad. And some of them were for year, from years ago. And I felt like I'd forgiven them. Right? I felt like a few of them I'd forgiven. But I just wanted, like, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I don't, I forgive them again, and I'm going to pray for them. Because I believe we're in a day of restoration. And I believe the way that restoration is going to get held back on people is when we refuse to bless people from our past who've hurt us. And I'm talking about people who've betrayed you, People who've spoken against you, people who've done stuff to you that is just almost unforgivable. But I believe if you really want God to begin to restore your life, I think we have to do that. And so I think this is, I, I would encourage you to sit down with the Lord.
and go through the list. The ones you know and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind the ones you don't even think about. or Maybe you've buried it, you know, and just go down the list and pray a prayer over each one, a prayer blessing, a prayer of forgiveness over them. And the thing that you would like to see, you know, the best thing, like, oh, I'd really hate to see the Lord bless that guy financially because he ripped me off so bad. No, Lord, I really want you to bless his finances. And see, when Job did that, God restored his fortunes. Some of you may need to do it for yourself. Because some of you have held your things against yourself from your mistakes in your past. And some of us may even need to do it towards the Lord himself because we put this blame on God. Y'all looking at me badly. <laughs> so let me read this. I'm running out of time here. I'm going to finish though here shortly. And in verse 19, this is, this is amazing. This will give you some wisdom on how to deal with people going through struggles. Oh, Lord, we all need that, right? Because this world is such a fallen, hurting world. And they need people who can respond appropriately. when they. And this is what he said to her. Just give me your son. See, he didn't really try to defend himself, right? He didn't try. No, I didn't do that. He didn't try to defend the Lord. You know, he didn't try to explain to the woman what was going on. He didn't try to explain to her. He didn't try to give any kind of doctrine, any kind of theology. He didn't use the famous scripture, well, God, it's going to cause this to work for your good, which is an awesome scripture. I love that scripture. But that scripture spoken at the wrong time can really wound people, I found out, by speaking it at the wrong time and having it spoken to me at the wrong time. It's a beautiful scripture. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that's what God's doing. It's causing bad things to work in our lives. But if we speak it to people in their moment, when they're crying out, in their moment of pain, where they're trying to make sense of life. See, Elijah really knew what to do. He didn't do anything. He didn't try to argue. He didn't try to figure it out. All he said was, just give me your son. Just give him to me. Give me, give me this thing. And see, that's really a picture of the Holy Spirit. When, when we were just in just this well, let me use this word, a damnable situation. Because that's what it is. Where The woman was holding her dead child in her arms. And he says, give, her, give him to me. Your dead dream, your dead business, your dead ministry, whatever it is. You know, that's really what we have. Your, your dead marriage. Yeah, your dead relationships, your dead expectations. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted. Give them to me. Just give them to me. He, he, and that's lots of times why God doesn't explain things in the middle of our mess. Because He knows we can't hear Him. Just give it to Him. That's what all He wants us to do. Just give them to me. And this is, this is crazy. <laughs> Good old Elijah. So He took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying. I think somebody said the upper room was the prayer room in a house of, in Israel's day. Right? And that was told us about another widow, if y'all can remember Blessing's message. And laid him on his own bed. And now listen to this. This is amazing. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, have you also brought this tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? See, Elijah just did the same thing that she was doing. He was saying, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> hey, I'm here. You sent me here. What in the world are you doing, Lord? 
He didn't say that to her, but when he got with God, he got really real at that moment. Do you hear what I'm saying? God wants us to be like that. Elijah was getting real with God. Why did you, what are you doing? What's going on here? I saved their life at your word, and now you're killing their son. I mean, this is not, this ministry is really not going downhill now. This situation is really going bad, God. You called me to do all this stuff, and you are just making a mess of it. How's anybody going to believe anything? <laughs> I couldn't heal the kid. Now he's dead. She's mad. She's going to tell all the neighbors. They're going to come get me. They're going to keep me out of town. I'm, they're going to ask me to resign. Uh, we need to get a new pastor. <laughs> this ain't working. We're glad you came. Thanks for the food, but, mm. <laughs> You know, this just ain't working, dude. I mean, something's bad here. And that's what he was thinking. Lord, what are you doing? You know, so he was a man with like passions. And apparently he didn't wait on the Lord to answer him, which I love. And apparently God had no uh, inclination to even answer that question. Like, well, you can ask the question, but we're not talking. So this is beautiful. And he stretched himself out on the child three times. Now, I want to remind you, this man was not a good Jew because, number one, he ate food from a raven, which was an unclean bird. Number two, he was living in a Gentile's house. That, that was no-no's. Number three, he took a dead body into his arms and laid this dead body on his bed, making him, the bed, and everything he ever touched from there on out unclean. That was just, you don't do that if you're a Jew, you know, one from that area. You don't mess with that stuff. You don't touch. He didn't care. See, he, he was living in another realm. He was living in a greater realm. And he stretched himself out in child three times and cried to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. To him. And so this is the first time. This is amazing. This is sort of facts. This is the first time in the Bible, this recorded in the Bible, where someone prayed for somebody to be raised from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Did y'all know that? First time in the Bible. This is interesting. I started looking in the Bible about all the people. Remember I said this is about raising the dead? In the Bible, there's not that many people who, that we actually know of that was raised from the dead. This is the very first person that was raised from the dead. He had no model. He had nothing. He just had a... Had a belief. He raised it there. And then Elisha, his, you know, spiritual son that took over his ministry, he actually raised two people from the dead. He raised a widow's child from the dead, right? And he also raised this other guy after Elisha was dead. They were burying him. Y'all know this story. They were burying Elisha. And these raiders were coming to get him, and the people were burying him and saw these raiders, so they just threw his body into this tomb, and it touched this other person who was already dead, and this other person came alive. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Not a, not a, you think both of them would come alive, but just the other guy, Elisha, stayed dead. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So there were, in the Old Testament, recorded, there were three people raised from the dead. There was... Elisha raised two, Elijah raised one. In the New Testament, Jesus raised three, only three people from the dead. There was a funeral, okay, the woman that, uh, who had only son was dying, Nain, and he came upon the funeral, he stopped it, he put his hands on and raised this boy up from the dead, right? He also raised up Jairus' daughter from the dead, right? And then he also raised up the most famous one was Lazarus. 
So that's three that Jesus did three in the Old Testament. Plus, Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. It says that Peter got on his knees and prayed for her. She was a person who was very significant in the church, a woman. And, it, and, she, and she came to life. Well, Paul raised this boy named Eutychus from the dead. And let me tell you, I think he copied Elijah. Because this boy was sitting up in a window listening to Paul preach. And the Bible says Paul preached a really long time. And bored the kid. And finally the kid fell asleep in his preaching. And he fell out of the second story window to his death. Okay, that would be a great day at church, right? Somebody died because you preached him into a stupor and then they fell. Well, Paul runs down there and gets on top of this dead person. See, he was breaking the laws, the Jewish laws. And then he said, oh, don't worry, there's life in him. And the boy was raised from the dead. And then Paul, it says he continued talking until daybreak. (laughs) He was emboldened at that point. So that's five people that we know of. I'm just telling you this because I want you to get something about raising the dead. That's five people. Then when Jesus was raised from the dead, it says many saints from the old appeared in Jerusalem. So there were people that were dead that came back to life. We don't know if they stayed alive, but they were seeing, you know, dead people walking around. Suddenly they came alive because the resurrection power of Christ. So, you know, relatively speaking, there were not many, there's not been many people in history raised from the dead. It is a, it's not a normal miracle in the Bible. But it is a miracle that God occasionally does. And I think that's something that, you know, we need to keep in mind that we need to keep, when we pray for somebody, don't be discouraged if they're not raised from the dead. But I really encourage you, when someone dies, let's pray for them. We pray for a lot of people. Obviously, they haven't been raised from the dead. But God does raise people from the dead. Amen? I just think that's really amazing there. But here's a, I'm going to finish here. Just let me read this. It says, Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. The Lord heard, listen, the voice of Elijah. Think about this. Elijah, at this point, has done three major miracles. One, he spoke, and it didn't rain. Okay? Two, he spoke to the widow's flour and oil and said it will not run out. And it didn't. Three, he spoke for God to raise his child up, and God heard him. Now, what is that telling you? What's the common thing in there? It's his words. You see, remember I told you when I first started looking at this, John the Baptist, when they ask him who he is, he says, I'm only a voice. I'm only a voice. You see, that's what God wants to give. God wants to give his people a voice. A voice. I'm telling you, this is what God wants to do. He wants to give us a voice where we can use our voice to speak the things that God is speaking and, and see whatever we're speaking happen. That's what the Spirit of Elijah does. It has a, it's a voice. You, if you go on and study the rest of his, his things that he did, it came through what he spoke. And God is going to give, I believe, a remnant church, I believe a body of Christ, a people in this nation a voice. And we're going to have a voice and we're going to have a say-so in what happens. But you see, God is trying to raise people up. He's trying to prepare people. And all the stuff that people went through, it's been for that. It's been to prepare you to be a voice, to speak for Him, to speak on your behalf in whatever situation you're in. 
In whatever circumstances and places that God gives you, that when you speak, that your words carry the authority of heaven and carry the power of heaven. And that's why I believe the spirit of Elijah is so important. Are y'all okay? Y'all are just looking at me like y'all just wish this is... Y'all look at me bad. I'm going to finish right now because this is the end, end of this chapter. This is perfect. Chapter 17. At next year, you see, it's the next year is when that really fire falls. That's when we'll, we'll talk about chapter 18. But that's the, the fire of God. But I want to read this and tell you this one beautiful thing here, I believe. And then Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And that's what God wants to do for people, for what you give Him. God wants to, to give it back to you, but give it back to your life. I believe that He wants to do that. I really do. But this is what's amazing. Verse 24. That's amazing, but this is also amazing to me. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this, I know that you are a man of God. Think about it. They had been living on a miracle for probably a year. And now she said, Well, now I know for sure. After God had sustained them and kept them, I'm sure they saw loved ones die. Now, I know for sure you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. The word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Here's what it is. Resurrection. The the power of resurrection. Because, see, that is the greatest miracle. That's the ultimate miracle that God has given man. It's in Christ. Christ was raised from there. We, every one of us, carry that ultimate miracle. See, all, every other miracle is under that miracle. And when that resurrection of Christ, when the power of His resurrection becomes the thing for us, when it becomes that reality in us, the way God wants it to be, because I don't think it's the way God wants it to be yet. I think there's a manifestation of the resurrection power of Christ that God wants to release in the earth. You know, I'm really happy to get here to be saying this to y'all, okay? I'm, and I'm shocked that you're actually listening to it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but I really believe this. I believe there's a power of resurrection that God's going to release on the church. You know? A resurrection power, the resurrection, the anointing of Christ, the living Christ. You see, and that's going to answer the world. That's when, what the world's going to say, now we know. And that's how the church is. That's really what the church is looking for at the end of the day. Because we can get touched by the Lord and go home, but it's when we really experience His resurrection power in our lives. That's really the, that's the thing that's going to stick with us the most, is the resurrection of Christ. I really believe that with all my heart. I want you to stand up, and I'm going to pray for you, and ask the Lord to help us. Amen. Well, uh, we're saying yes to the Lord today, right? Mm-hmm. You know one thing I always do? Especially when I'm going to do ministry, and I do it not all the time, every day, but I give my thoughts to the Lord. I mean, I say it to Him, Lord, my thoughts for your thoughts, my emotions for your emotions, my passions for your passions, my expectations. My expectancy for your expectancy. My dreams for your dreams. And see, that really helps me stay out of disappointment and discouragement. 
Because what I'm doing is surrendering what I believe, what I think, and letting the Lord have what He believes and what He thinks. And all I'm doing is asking the Lord to let me have that so I can flow with Him. And so when we're saying yes to the Lord, to me, that's fundamental. It's some of you in this room, you're, you're tied up. Listen, you're tied up because you, you think your life should be a certain thing, a certain way. You think things should be this way or that way, and it's not. And, and you're in this battle in your life because God is not, doesn't seem to be cooperating with you. You know, and it's because you've got to surrender that. Surrender your concept the way your life should be. Surrender how you think your children should act even. And how they should relate to you. Boy, you can talk about getting some freedom in a family. Start doing that with your kids instead of trying to control them. And trying to get them to circulate around you when it's time for them not to circulate around you. It'll make a difference. And so... It's very practical. What I'm talking about has, has very practical ramifications. It's because we're allowing God to come into a thing. And when we're, I'm just thinking, we're saying yes to God. Let's be specific about what we're saying yes to Him about. The thing that's tying you up, the thing that's discouraging you, the prayer that you haven't been able to get God to answer. That's where we can say yes to God. That's where we can say, okay, this is the way I wanted it. But this is the way I'm going to surrender. Now, give me how you want it. And I, I'm telling y'all, listen, especially people in my generation, you need, to think, you need to think long and hard about what Jesus said. I glorified your name on the earth by finishing what you called me to do. You've got to get out of this quitting thing and this giving up thing. And decide the thing that you felt in you at one time that was really from God. But somehow it got dis knocked to the side that you allow that thing to get re to, to get resurrected in you. And and be have this heart. I'm gonna finish this thing, Lord. I'm gonna finish the thing that you put me on this earth to do. And when we do that, I think that's when joy really starts happening. God's glorified. God's honored. I was telling Ken this morning, one of my biggest battles in my life is me. It's my flesh. It's how I feel about me and how I don't feel like I can or this or that and fighting through all that to get to, to, to the God in me. You know, that this is what God's called me to do. I need to do this. Even though myself is telling me you can't do it. You're not good enough or you're not measure up. Or you're this or you're not that. And see, God really wants to break that stuff off of if you. Got, if you're worried about your bad motives, here's, here's good news. God is going to deal with your motives. He's going to deal with your flesh. He's going to deal with all that stuff in you. He's going to work it out for you and help you get free so He can move through your life and, and help you finish what He's called you to do. He's called us to be finishers. Amen. So let me pray. If, that, if that's you this morning, everybody close your eyes. If that's you, raise your hand. And just say, Lord, I want to be a finisher. I want to finish what you've called me to do, Lord. I don't want to stop short. I don't want to let my disappointments or my failures or even my sins from the past stop me. But I want to finish. I want to finish strong, Lord. 
I want to be a finisher. I ask you, Lord, this morning to renew the dreams, renew the calling in my life. God's got calling on your life. God's called you. That's why, that's why it won't leave you alone. That's why you'll never be satisfied in your life until you begin to walk in that calling, whatever it is. Just say, that's what I'm saying yes to this morning, Lord. I'm saying yes to what you've called me to do. Now help me, Lord. I invite you, Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, release your strength on these people this morning. Release your strength, Lord Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless each one of you. I pray God would just cause you to just get hungry. I pray that fire that we're talking about would just burn in your heart. You'd be like this men on the road to a mess that there'd just be an encounter in your life. That you'd really encounter Jesus. You'd really encounter Him. You'd feel His presence. You'd sense His presence. It would burn. I just wanted to remind us, um, I felt like this morning in the prayer room, it just came to me about judgment and criticism. And I just didn't want that to get away from us either with Byron's message that really that's what unclogs our brains, our minds when we deal with our judgments and our criticisms. And that's a constant battle every day. Wouldn't y'all agree that you don't let these brains have uh, their way with just really going down that path with how we think about people and their circumstances where those judgments get loose. And I just wanted to say, Lord, help us. Give us grace. Remind us, Lord, to not allow the judgment and the criticism to take hold of our hearts, our minds, and the way we think. And I just really felt like this morning if we could go out of here and be reminded to go through those lists with people. That, and I promise you, there is a lot of liberty that happens in our hearts and our mind. And even in the atmosphere of a church, we cannot let that take root. So let's just give that to the Lord. I just I don't think that's a one-time thing. I think we need to do business with the Lord so that we can allow that spirit of Elijah to rest on us. And we are such a time where I really believe God wants that resting on his people. But the judgment and the criticism will take us out. And so, Lord, we say, help us. Help. We're all guilty. Help, Lord. Help us. I mean it. Cry out for help. Because we just being humble and asking the Lord to just give us the grace to deal with those things in our hearts and our minds. So, amen. Amen. Well, we're glad you're here this morning. Hope you're glad to be here. We, um, if I could invite the ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray for you. So we want to pray that you'd get healed. We want to pray for any emotional or physical needs that you might have. We'll pray for anything. How about that? We want to pray for you. So um, you can linger. You can come up and get prayer. Or you can be dismissed. Love you all. Have a great week. We give you the highest praise. You deserve it all. You deserve it all. We give you the highest